One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So happy to have you guys here on a Friday afternoon with me. I'm getting super excited. Um, you know, my, my energy, I can feel uh, up and down a- as usual. And uh, right before we go to what's called International Maxwell Certification, I'm at kind of like my lowest point energy-wise. And uh, I'm actually not going to be here live next uh, Friday uh, because the IMC is coming up in Orlando. And every day I seem to get uh, better and better news and, and exciting uh, updates of, of what's going to be happening while we're there. So uh, I'm looking so forward to that trip. Uh, been talking to several people, um, you know, making plans and, and you know, getting ready to really, it's, it's kind of like a family reunion for me now. So, uh, so excited to to be headed out to Orlando. Uh, for my, my Orlando peeps, I'm going to be out there like the 21st through the 28th. So uh, really looking forward to, to hanging out with you guys and uh, seeing some of the old crew while we're out there. It, it was a light week, but a busy week. Uh, I actually block um, this week off generally of my calendar uh, because it's it, it's a birthday week for for my family. My wife's birthday was the 11th, and my son's birthday was yesterday. Um, and I I am very very intentional and purposeful in blocking off the week, not only to be able to do activities with the family and not travel and, and that kind of stuff, but also to really have some focused time on my business and and take some time. Uh, to knock out some of the things that are, are kind of sitting out there. So super busy there. Um, and today was particularly busy as well um, as uh, we, we had a board of directors meeting. I'm, I'm on the board of uh, child care resources here in Birmingham, uh, which is really focused on the zero to six demographic. And um, also uh, held a roundtable uh, session. Uh, so if you've been listening to the show, you, you know that uh, we went through the certification uh, to get certified through Global Priority Solutions and, and the launching of Transform Birmingham. Um, I had several meetings this week uh, really you know, pushing that initiative along, um, specifically in prisons um, this week. And then also, um, you know, I, I set up this roundtable. And, and just to recap that story really quickly, uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of Amish country in, in Ohio. And uh, uh, when they give me my pad folio, there's a pen in it. You know, normally we get a pen when you go to training or whatever. Well, when I look at the pen, the pen says Aerotech. It came from a company called Aerotech, which I believe disbanded around 1999. The guy who founded that was Steve Bashotti, who owns the, the Baltimore Ravens now. Um, but Aerotech was kind of a breeding ground for just young, hungry, entrepreneurial, uh, driven types of individuals. And, uh, but the company again, you know, has broken up and all that kind of stuff. So I, I started a- asking the question, you know, why is an Aerotech pen? You know, the company hasn't been around for 20 years uh, in my pad folio. And uh, I took that as a sign um, that I needed to get the, the, the band back together, that there's several people here that live in Birmingham with me um, that were my recruiting partners. And for a lot of us, it was our first professional job. And now uh, one of them is is running the entire uh, project management office for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama. Uh, one of them is is uh, inventing a technology right now that's disrupting the recruiting world and technology recruiting called Fetch. Uh, one of them owns his own recruiting firm. 
another one is the the director of all sales for a technology organization. So we've all been successful in our own right, uh, but we all got our start there, and that's kind of the common bond. And and so I took that as as an opportunity to to set up this roundtable and. Literally, uh, to their credit, it was one phone call to each one of them, and they were in. And uh, so this was our, our second session. But it really moved me today. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming off this week that's pretty self-reflective. But yesterday is a really interesting day for me. August 15th every year uh, is, is super uh, conflicting for me. Uh, it is my son's birthday, and we, we're excited to, to celebrate with him. And, and, you know, he's a teenager now. Uh, got his first phone. So he's pumped about that. But, um, it also was the 27 year anniversary of my father's death. And for those of you that listen to the show often and in how I've chronicled, um, really what a defining moment that was for me and, uh, how that continues to impact my life today. Um, there's always some time at, at a certain point that, that I take out of yesterday and just really, uh, pay homage to, to my father and, and think through and, and have good memories. And so I've been super self-reflective. And so today at our roundtable, we discussed the, the value of honesty. And it was one of the most interesting conversations I think I've had in, in a very long time um, with people who I can be super, super vulnerable with. So um, we're actually going to recap what happened at that roundtable. And then I'm going to get into how honesty fits into business and business world. Um, and some of the things that, that, that I've noticed today. So that's going to be the show today. We, we hope that you hang on and listen to us because, uh, you know, th- there's some interesting moral quandaries that, that come with the value of honesty. I mean, if you, if you read about honesty and if you read what most people say, it's, it's you know, straight up, they say, you know, you've got to be honest at all costs. You, you, you've got to You've got to say whatever and just be completely honest. But that's that's not the truth. It's not the truth morally. It's not the truth biblically. It's not the truth um, uh, in in business. And, and what we what we mean is that there, there's certain actions. So so to recap the the beginning of this conversation, um, as you do a roundtable, you know we we underline things that uh, seem to speak to us. Uh, and one of the things that, that I underlined was, uh, are we someone this person would be able to hear and accept this type of honesty from? And, and that led me to a quote that Paul Martinelli, the, the president of John Maxwell team, says all the time. He says, before you ask somebody their advice, make sure, um, or before, actually, he says, before you ask somebody what they think, make sure they do. Make sure they think. Make sure they're, they're experts and are capable of giving you advice in that arena. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to reflect on that because when you start to think about, you know, how many businesses or business ideas people get and the first person they tell is a spouse or a friend or somebody, but they're not necessarily, um, they, they may know you, but they may not know what you're talking about from a business perspective. And they dismiss the idea that, oh, that's stupid. Uh, that you're going to do that. Why aren't you doing this? Or you're spending money for this and you should be doing this. And, and, you know, we, we go to these people for advice, but they just crush our dreams. But they also, they, you know, if you, if you think about this passage to make sure that they can accept that type of honesty from you, you know, this starts to get into the quandary of honesty because one of the biggest things bar none, if you read psychology today, if you read anything, just, uh, type into Google for that matter, you know, when, when is honesty or, or even, you know, telling a lie 
acceptable. And almost everyone cites the fact that that there, there's competing values. And so it depends on the other value that you're utilizing to decide the honesty factor. And we'll give you the the easy one. It's, you know, your your spouse comes to you and says, Hey, does this these clothes make me look good? You know, I'm I, I have a wife, so when she comes to me, you know, and says, Hey, does this make my butt look fat? You Dude, if you answer honestly, you're in trouble. <laughs> that, that, that's like the first lie most people tell. It's like, oh no, babe, that's good, right? <laughs> you, you, you don't you don't go, wow, you just that, yeah, no, it makes you look like a whale, right? I mean, you, you'd be sleeping outside with the dogs, and so so the value that you're actually choosing over honesty at that time is compassion, because they they, they they're not ready to accept or hear that honest truth from you. And it's interesting to to start to to dissect that then. So if it's okay sometimes, then then when does it not become okay? And you know, a lot of people can draw easy lines, but it's not so easy. And so in the round table, one of the participants said, you know, he goes, I'm I'm in a quandary right now. He goes, I have to make a decision today. He said, you know, he goes, at our school system, the, the school system that that his son goes to. If uh, they, they make all A's and have, you know, zero absences, then they actually get to exempt out of exams. And our school year just started. I mean, it's just brand new. And um, he's moving his older daughter into college tomorrow morning. And so his wife and daughter left for one of their beach condos last night. And he won, wanted to leave today at lunch to get ahead of the traffic and, and pick up, you know, his son. So now he's got to go to the school to pick him up. And what does he write down for the reason for checking out? Right? Because if he says he's sick, then then he's telling a, a, a white lie to protect his son's opportunity to, to be able to exempt from exams at the end of the year. But he also then is showing his son that as long as it's you know beneficial to us, it's okay. And so he's like... So he was talking about how he was asking what to do and, and his wife and daughter were driving to the beach and he was on speakerphone with his wife and they were just talking. And they're sitting there going, no, 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 this is what we're going to say. That's what they're going to say. And he became cognizant that his daughter was listening. And he was like, well, hey, I, I don't know if I want to talk about this right now. And so it was very interesting because he was still in that quandary. And, and you know, most of us just said, well, just you know, tell them you're pulling them. Don't give them a reason, right? Just I'm, I'm yanking the, the kid out of school. But they have to provide a reason, which was interesting because one of the other school systems here in town passed, they, just starting this year, that you don't have to provide a reason. If the, the parent pulls the student out, parent pulls the student out. And it was because people were complaining that they were in this little quandary of what do they say? And so, you know, if you look at, at honesty for what it's worth, again, reading through it, people say, well, Always tell the truth, even if the truth hurts. I, I, I was told that. Um, but that's, again, not the case. And so I'm actually going to build a case on the other side of this here. And then we're going to talk through how this then pervades uh, business. And then what happens when businesses stop telling the truth? And, and what happens to an organization when people, it becomes part of the corporate culture to look away? Uh, and we've got several examples of that. So it's going to be interesting. We're going to kind of get into a somewhat a controversial topic because I, I guarantee you, all of us are living with something right now 
that we're not being 100% honest with. So my question then becomes, and what we're really going to go through is what's the other value that you're choosing when, you know, if you look at honesty just at the core, of course, we want to be as honest as possible. But if it's a conflicting value to something else, then what do you do? So we're going to continue this conversation right after the break. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. All right, we're back to the Work-Life Balance. We're discussing honesty today and how it uh, pervades in and out of, of business and, and really as a principle and in um, when is it okay not to be honest? And, and when in your life have you have you not been honest? And, and kind of what's the what's the driving value behind it? And uh, so I, I said I was going to build a case on the other side. Uh, so let's let's do that. When we when we talk about you know honesty is the best policy, right? That's, that's what we've heard often. And, and and truly from from those that you really care about and that you really love, honesty is the best policy, unless. Right, it can cause you know physical or psychological harm, or or, or it, it's in a conflict with, with another value. But if you don't believe me, then just you know watch, watch kids, how honest kids are, and uh, you know they'll they'll tell you what they think, and, and you know uh, it, it's it's amazing how many times your kids will kind of embarrass you. But they're also saying exactly the truth. And so that's where you start to see, like, this becomes a learned behavior that you can't just say what's truly on your mind. So we tell a kid, you know, honesty is the best policy. And then they'll say, you know, mom, mom, I don't like going over to auntie's house. She's fat and she stinks. You know, you're like, whoa, hey, easy. You can't say that. We're like, but that's the truth. It's honesty, right? And I think one of my favorite things um, beyond anything was a great, great social piece um, that Ricky Gervais, it was a movie called The Invention of Lying. Um, and it, in, in the world that they're in this movie, uh, 
everybody, everybody in society, everybody that they met said exactly the truth. And he was kind of poking fun at this whole, you know, honesty is the best policy thing. As a matter of fact, one of the little monologues they do is, is they were showing a commercial and it was a commercial for Coca-Cola. And uh, so the, the, the sales guy's up there and he says, hi, I'm Bob. I'm the spokesperson for the Coca-Cola company. I'm here today to ask you to continue buying Coke. Sure, it's a drink you've been drinking for years, and if you still enjoy it, I'd like to remind you to buy it again sometime soon. It's basically just brown sugar water, and we haven't changed the ingredients much lately, so there's nothing new I can tell you about that. We changed the can around a little bit, though. See, the colors are different here, and they're different there, and we added a polar bear, so the kids like us. Coke is very high in sugar, and like any high-calorie soda, it can lead to obesity in children and adults who don't sustain a very healthy diet. So that's it. It's Coke. It's very famous. Everyone knows it. I'm Bob. I work for Coke. And I'm asking you not to stop buying Coke. That's all. It's a bit sweet. Thank you. <laughs> right? So if, if you're telling the exact truth, 100% truth, that's what advertising would be like. And of course, you know, people like to gloss over. So this, in this roundtable that we had today, we started to continue to take that forward to the guys, uh, including myself. We're salespeople. And so what happens when, you know, Things pop up that um, you know that you really should tell the client. Now, on that side, I I feel like you know, look, they're going to find it out eventually. I want them to hear it from me, so um, you know, I feel like I do a pretty good job in, in that area. But you know, the one of the other guys that was with us, he was just like, "Look, I'll, I'm going to tell them exactly what they want to hear to 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 move it through." And uh, I, I found that you know really out. You know, I, I love how vulnerable he was with that because that's that's the truth. And so then we got into this whole discussion of how people justify it by saying, "Well, you know, I'm doing the best for my family," but no, you're not. You're you're, you're doing the best for your family at the behest for of everybody else's family. So that's not exactly fair either. And so as as you start to get into this and really start to think about it, you can build a case on either side of when it's okay, when it's not okay. And so really what it has to come down to is, is what you're telling yourself and, and, and what, what you believe in your heart in, in terms of when the right time is to, to certain, you know, to, to say certain things. And so I started to, you know, really reflect on that. And, and um, obviously there's areas in my life that, that I certainly could be more honest about. Um, I feel like I do a, a decent job of being vulnerable with you guys. But um, I think there's always something that that people withhold that they back they you know back away, um, and but then I started to think about my career as a project manager, and one of the things that one of the key stories I remember was um, you know in project management most of us we we have some sort of measurement some sort of dashboard red yellow greens that kind of stuff and. Um, I was very to the letter on red, yellow, green. Um, but there's a stigma against, you know, turning a project red for whatever reason that may be. And um, it's, it's incredible that uh, what happens, like a red should be a red. Like if we're over budget, we're over schedule, it's fine. But what I see most often, and I would say 80% of the people that I talk to, well, they're afraid to turn it red. And one of the one of the things I heard one time, uh, I said, why, "Why are you afraid to do that?" They said, "Well, we we get unwanted attention from executives when we turn a project red." And I was like, "That's exactly why you turn it red. That's a, that's why you do it." 
is because you need their attention. They need to know that the investment that they're making isn't going to pay off the way that they think so. And, and we need to be able to tell them. And so I, I remember this distinctly. I had a project. I, I, I turned it red. And my boss at the time comes to me and says, um, you need to turn this yellow. Uh, we can't turn it red. And I was like, yeah, but according to the definition of, of what I've been given and, and what my covenant is here, this project's in the red and I, I need to report it as such. That's my ethical duty. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting some texts from, from uh, a friend of mine that's listening right now, John Watson, um, who is on, you know, he works with the, the PMI code of ethics, the project management Institute code of ethics. And uh, you know, the, the responsibility of us is, is to be honest and, and to, to tell people the way it is, not necessarily what they want to hear. So this guy came you know, to me and says, you need to turn it yellow. I said, I can't, it's, it's red. And he goes, well, you're going to turn it yellow. So, so now I'm in a quandary of, okay, well, I'm now struggling with the value of, of disobedience to my boss. And if I, if I give in though, then I am publishing something with my name on it that's not true. But if I don't, I could lose my job. And, you know, I, I, I really didn't know what to do. And, and what I ended up uh, coming up with at the time is I went to my boss and I said, look, I, I can't do it. I, I, I ethically just can't turn this red when, you know, the, the only way I could move it back to yellow is if we agree to change the definition of yellow, but that's got to be, you know, a definition across the board. I can't do it. I said, but what I can do is send you the report. You can do whatever you want with it, but you're going to have to send it out under your name. And surprisingly, he agreed to that. So I would write my report the way I wanted to write the report, the way, you know, we, we were taught and should do it, send it to him. He manipulated it, sent it out. Well, you know, fast forward about three, four months later, and of course the project failed. But it turns out the CIO, this was like a pet project for him. So he comes in looking for me. I mean, he was screaming my name down the hall. He was a very rule by fear kind of CIO. He wasn't fun to work with. And he comes to, to talk to me and he says, why have you been misrepresenting this project? And I, and I, now I know it's like, it's really deep now. We're really deep. And I said, well, sir, I haven't. And he goes, well, I've never seen the project as red. I've looked at it every week and it's kind of my my pet project. It's something I fought for. So I look horrible because it failed. And I said, what do you mean? It's, it's not been read. And I knew exactly where I was going at this point. Right. And so I'm, I'm walking a very fine line with him and he goes, well, you've never reported it read. I said, it's been read the last 12, 13 weeks. And he goes, well, I haven't seen it read. I said, okay, well, who sends the report to you? And I said, I can show you my reports that I send out. And I pulled them up and you could see that they were all read. Now, that was a very extreme example. And, and yes, my boss did lose his, his job. But he was the one making the decision to shield it, not me. Um, and so I got lucky in that situation because I could have easily been the person that, that got thrown under the bus and, and the person that could have um, lost their job. And so I started to reflect from this roundtable on that story, something that, that I've talked to. And um, one of the other things, uh, one of the other guys had said that, that kind of moved me in this was that he said he's, he's afraid of the golden handcuffs. 
And I said, what does that mean? He goes, well, I've, I'm looking at a six-figure pension that I'm very close to. And if I stand up and call people out, I'm risking the golden handcuffs. I'm, I'm risking you know, getting fired and losing my pension um, over you know, what's right or wrong. And, and so he actually calls it progressively institutionalized stupidity, which I, I think is hilarious. But he said that, that that's the culture there, that you don't speak up and we're all one family and everybody supports each other. But you do that through contrition. You don't do that through right and wrong. And it's a unique industry. They, they kind of own the market. They don't really have to compete with anybody. So as long as they maintain status quo, then the company's fine. So nobody really wants to shake it up or change anything, even if what's going on is wrong. And he said, you know, if you do speak up, he says it's, it's Amish justice, which Again, I absolutely stealing that from now on. He goes, you don't get really fired per se, but you get shunned. You, you get you, nobody will talk to you. You don't get any projects anymore. You don't you don't get upward mobility. You're you're pushed to the sideline uh, where they kind of hope you'll quit, uh, but they won't actually fire you. Uh, so so that's how they deal with it. So as I'm reflecting on this, and, and again, I just, I love these guys and, and, and appreciate uh, their, their vulnerability um, as we were going through this, I started to think about a, a deeper dive into what are situations where it was culturally acceptable to withhold the truth um, as long as people were getting a gain. And what did that do to society? What did that do to to um, the organization to the people that work for the organization and that the customers that they served. And so I started to do some research on that and I'll actually reveal uh, what I found in that research. When we get into our next segment, I'm going to go ahead and take a break here. You're listening to the work-life balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. 
And we're back to the work-life balance uh, this Friday afternoon. We're talking about honesty and, and how it conflicts with, with the potential of other values. Um, when is it okay to be honest? When is it okay not to be honest? And how that affects business. Um, and, and again, these are all just my thoughts. Um, so I'm, I'm not advocating, uh, honestly, I'm not, and I, I love how much we say honestly now, I'm not advocating uh, on either side. Um, but, but I am looking, right? And so if you look at like absolute moral rules, you know, such as never lie, right? And, and that might be the ethical approach you endorse. Uh, but there was a very famous example um, that was offered by Immanuel Kant. And he's had a couple. But uh, he asked, what should you do if someone just ran by you uh, with a weapon and ask you if you've seen somebody running away just minutes ago and in what direction they were heading. Right? So if you tell the truth, that may result in death or severe injury, while lying about it may save a life. And so as an absolute moral rule, such as always tell the truth, if that's going to result in, in being honest regardless of the consequences, then, then you know, people, when do you choose, Right. Um, so there's other ethical approaches that kind of get in the way, such as the value of saving a life or the compassion of others and so forth that might suggest that lying is indeed the right ethical thing to do. So, I mean, you can argue if lying is ethical from multiple angles, right? If, if lies are, are maintaining healthy relationships or nurturing others, uh, then lying could be the ethical thing to do after all. But when it, when it comes to making ethical decisions, like in a business world, we need to balance the pros and cons of, of using multiple approaches to ethics in order to figure out what the right thing to do really is. I mean, sometimes different ethical uh, approaches conflict. And when they do, certain values or approaches must trump others. So compassion might trump honesty on a specific situation. And so I started to think about you know, what, what's the, the, the backside of that, you know, where, where has it been just pure lying for the source of profit and, and to go there, um, you know, I started to do some, some research and a couple of my, you know, here, I think they're heroes for coming forward, even though their, their lives since, um, hasn't been very heroic. Um, but one of the first ones that, that, that came to mind for me uh, was uh, Benton. Uh, and so during the, the whole um, cycle of uh, the 2000s, right, when we start talking about um, the falls of Enron, the falls of WorldCom, um, it really started to see this, this kind of greed uh, come out. And, um, the, you know, we had the other one, which was, uh, the housing crisis and, uh, a guy by the name of Richard Bowen, um, it to me was, was, you know, a hero in this. So if you look at the story, it, you know, started in around, uh, 2006, um, and he was the chief underwriter for Citigroup. Uh, specifically in their consumer lending group. 
Uh, and he began to warn the board of directors about the extreme risks that were being taken you know, by the mortgage operation that could potentially result in massive losses for the business. So he, he was sending internal mo- uh, memos. And um, he finally ended up you know, blowing the whistle. But at that point, 60% of the mortgages that Citigroup was, was holding were, were defective. And the amount of bad mortgages began increasing throughout 2007 and eventually exceeded 80% of the volume. And many of the mortgages were not only defective, they, they were fraudulent. So he was attempting to rouse the board via uh, weekly reports and other communications. And in, in 2007, he even emailed the, the Citigroup chairman uh, and the bank's uh, CFO, chief financial officer, chief auditor, their chief risk management officer to, again, expose the risk of potential losses. Uh, and claiming that their internal controls had, had broken down, that it's it's wild, wild west, essentially. And so he requested an outside investigation of of his business unit, which eventually confirmed that he was right. Now, if you look at what happened in the aftermath, the people that were perpetuating the lie, the CFO, the chief auditor, they all made fat bonuses. I mean, they now they got in trouble and there's some legal fees and that kind of stuff, but they came out financially pretty well. Um, whereas Richard Bowen, who was living that, that, that ethical life, essentially, um, he got stripped of all of his responsibilities. They, they fired him. He made no bonus, um, and has been difficult to, 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 to be hired since, um, for doing what was the right thing, right? If you look at what happened in Enron and, and, and Broadcom and in these companies, right? Uh, it's some of the greatest fraud that was ever uh, sent. And, and while you know you look at Sharon Watkins or Cynthia Cooper, who who essentially blew the whistle uh, on Enron and WorldCom, um, they became jointly named as, as Times you know People of the Year. Um, but um, at the same time, they went through utter, uh, really hell that 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 they had to live with by trying to bring up uh, what was happening, right? And, and the whole uh, Enron story, I mean, they were, they were essentially falsifying documents and, and manipulating numbers in order to satisfy stakeholders and, and, and make their money. Um, one of the biggest things I think that, that shocked me about the whole Enron scandal is I remember these, these rolling blackouts that were happening in California at the time. And there was, you know, various reasons as to why what, what I didn't know is that that was one of the ways that they had manipulated. And when I say they Enron had manipulated and created an, an energy crisis that, that necessarily wasn't there. Um, but in doing so, Right. There was a deregulation law that California had passed. And, and so then there was these rolling blackouts that became declared um, until federal regulators intervened in around 2001. But the blackouts occurred as a result. They, what they were saying is they occurred as a result of poorly designed market system. Um, you know, there, there's all this stuff. But really what it was was a market system that was being manipulated by traders and marketers. Um, and uh they were revealed as intentionally incurring, encouraging the removal of power from the market during California's energy crisis by encouraging suppliers to shut down plants to perform unnecessary maintenance or um, 
you know, upgrading systems and that kind of stuff. And so all of these things contributed to the need for rolling blackouts, which adversely affected many businesses, um, as well as, you know, inconvenience a large number of, of, of customers of people's homes and stuff. But what happened is it, it artificially increased the price. And so then the traders uh, were able to sell power at premium prices, sometimes up to a factor of like 20 times the normal price by essentially manipulating the market and harming the very people that they were supposed to be uh, assisting. And so when you start to, to look at it, um, you know, the people that were really behind it, uh, you know, Kenneth Lays is, you know, one of the big ones. Skilling uh, was another. You know, Skilling got uh, 24 years and four months and uh, essentially a $45 million penalty. But he made hundreds of millions during this whole piece, right? Uh, another one of the executives was sentenced to six years of jail time. Um, another one settled out of court for $30 million, But at, at the end of the day, these guys still made bank off of the back of truly being dishonest. And so what I, why I even dug into this, why I even tell you this story is that what, what's happening culturally to, to these people and, they, and, and there's a whole whistleblower network now and they, they've got all of these, um, there's nonprofits and, and people that are really trying to, to work through it. But it still doesn't behoove the person to blow the whistle. I mean, they have to be so convicted uh, about what's going on to essentially blow the whistle to, to, to say something. Um, and uh, while there's whistleblower protection laws and, you know, employees have the rights to, to report wrongdoing both internally and externally, uh, essentially free from reprisal, that's not what happens. What happens is you become a social pariah, you lose your job, you lose your stuff. So, so what are we, what are we telling culturally to organizations and to people who are coming up? Think about the new employees at Enron. They're, that was their first job. They saw all these people get rich by doing the wrong thing. They saw that the people who basically busted it up uh, really just lost almost everything that they, that they had. Uh, around them, they lost their friends, social standing. They lost money. They lost their jobs. It became hard for them to to get another job, um, and so they start to equate that and go, "Wow, if I'm honest to the point that you know it hurts, then it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt the company, and the executives are still going to make out like mad." So while there's a negative connotation to what the executives did, as long as we keep status quo, uh, I'm not going to say anything. You know, one of my favorite stories behind all of this, and it was something I got very deep into, was the the Challenger disaster. And, um, you know, it was the first time, other than Bay of Pigs invasion, that the, the term group think was used. And to, to, to tell the story very briefly, you know, everybody, if I ask people, why did the Challenger explode? Most people know it was the O-rings, um, but it really wasn't. They actually um, had an opportunity to, to stop the launch, but there was so much external pressure from NASA. There was a contract that was on the table uh, for the company Morton Thiokol that uh, made the O-rings 
that everybody was pushing them to launch. And the engineers were saying, don't launch. You know, the, the temperature was 17 degrees and, and their experience based on what would happen with the O-rings uh, was never tested below 60 degrees. And so they launched and, and now we have this big disaster. Well, when the disaster happened, people at Morton Thiokol told all the engineers just to, to shut up, tow the, the company line. And Roger Beaujolais, um, who, who I had the opportunity to interview for one of my books and just an amazing American hero to me, um, couldn't, couldn't live with it and is the one that tipped off uh, the commission and, and testified about uh, that meeting uh, to, to stop the launch in the O-rings. And while that's amazing to me, if you look what happened afterwards, they actually reported everything to their manager. Um, and where the group think comes into play is that the executives looked at the head of engineering, uh, Robert Lund, Bob Lund, and said, hey, hey, Bob, uh, you need to take off your engineering hat and, and put on your, your, your manager hat and uh, tell us what to do. And essentially what they were saying is, hey, you need to tell them to launch because we can't be the reason for another delay. Well, at the outset of what the disaster, Roger Beaujolais was, was fired from Morton Thiokol for breaking ranks and, and telling the truth. And Bob Lund, who was pressured into making a, a very poor decision, was promoted. So again, culturally, we start telling people, well, you want to be honest at all costs. But even the people that are honest at all costs, um, as a society, we, we push that to the side. And so justifications and everything else comes out as well. So that's kind of the, the, the backside of what happens in businesses when, when it goes too far. Um, but uh, I'm going to wrap this up with, with my final thoughts on our final segment. Uh, stay with us after the break, uh, and we'll finish this discussion out. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the work-life balance. 
And we're back to the work-life balance. We've been talking about honesty this this whole time, and what a wild subject to even go through. I've I've really been kind of in in a spin this whole day, uh, going through uh, materials and really trying to understand it. So I'm going to finish off just with 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 personal beliefs. Um, I believe there are. Uh, I, I believe honesty and integrity are. are you know, two things that, that we should live by, but I think that there are times where it is acceptable, um, white lie or not, um, to, to withhold. And, and I'm not a big fan of a, of a blatant lie, a direct lie, a lie to deceive, but I, I do understand and, and do subscribe to and do it myself to, to be completely, um, uh, human and, and vulnerable to you, um, uh, lie by omission. Um, or, um, you know, I've developed a tactic where I could tell you, um, the truth in such an outrageous way that you think it's a lie, but I said my truth and it's, it's an interesting line to, to draw and to drive. Um, and so I, I firmly believe and and really subscribe to the definition from, uh, psychology today is that uh, there, there's ethics in it from multiple angles, especially when it's um, approaching conflict. I mean, if you if you think about um, you know people that let's go to, to to politicians, right? A lot of a lot of people will say that they don't trust what a, what a politician says, and if we look at our our, our world leaders. Um, they, they could be one of the greatest sources of lies, but sometimes leaders lie to win the next election, right? As a manipulation. And of course that's wrong because it's, it's conflicting with another value, but other times, you know, a leader will lie to keep national or international security in check. Um, that if they, they said the truth, it could cause uh, public discourse and, and panic and, and uh, have an alternative result. So if a lie could potentially stop a civil war or a riot or some potential bloodshed, uh, then perhaps, you know, maybe lying is acceptable option to take in that scenario, but not, not to lure public for, for personal benefit. That's, that's wrong, but uh, it, it does have a good place for, for civilization itself to, to progress on. And so lying now is, being human under the normal circumstances of, of life itself. And you have to master when and when not to do it uh, and learn how to do it in the degree to which you, you have to take it. And it's a difficult job. People lie at different levels and, and, and people at different levels lie. And I, you know, I, I struggle with the word of even lie because it's, it's choosing, to me, it's choosing another value. And you can call it wordsmithing, you can call it whatever you want, but it's choosing another value over the value of honesty if the honesty is going to essentially hurt people in the long run. And the only thing that I can suggest in that scenario is to not to, to lie to yourself. You know, I know of people, I'm sure you know people too, that that will tell themselves a lie so much that they believe it. And that's detrimental because they're altering the very fabric of truth of who they are. Um, so I, I decide to lie essentially through omission when it's conflicting with another value 
in order to be able to be okay with who I am on the inside. I think we're all works in progress and there's not a person out there that hasn't told a lie in, in one, you know, fashion or another. It's just, just to me, I don't think it exists. I think lying is a human condition under the normal circumstances of life. And the degree in which you do it, I think is a degree to the compassion you might show or to the hurt that may be caused um, from essentially the, the, the truth, you know, the old adage, the truth will set you free as the whistleblowers, if, if that's the case. I mean, it's a, it's a grand, it's a grand vision, but we live in a society that doesn't allow it. I mean, if we want to escape the spheres where we all can be honest and, and we want to evolve as much to, give up every bit of lies that, that, that we tell ourselves or, or hear from other people, then everybody else has to evolve with us to the point that the truth no more doesn't hurt anymore. Um, where a false compliment can be seen as a misdeed and, and not a default agreed upon response. It's, it, lying is, is, you know, it, it's to a point where like, <laughs> As we were talking in the roundtable today, the guys are saying, yeah, but I can tell when people are just, you know, BSing me that, that what they're saying is not true. And that's fine. But it's that choice to accept it or not accept it. And is it a lie by omission to not call them out on it? Right. So, so you're at a party and, and somebody is just blowing smoke and, and you know it to not be true. Is it a lie by omission to, to not bring that up because it's uncomfortable? You don't want to call that person a liar. You don't want to start a fight. You don't want to start an argument. That in and of itself is not being truthful and honest. It's, it's one of the most incredible things I, I've been through. Um, and I even searched biblically. And there's, there, there's examples in which biblically it said it was okay in the sense of as long as it did not. And one of the biggest um, uh, references is, is, uh, the the spot the Israelite spies, so they they come they they go um, stay in a, in a brothel essentially, and and the king's guards come and ask if if the spies were there, and uh, the lady lies and says you know no they they not only are they not here that you know they came and went and they went that way, um, and that was a you know a huge turning point um, in this battle, and so. I, I, all this to say, I don't know what to say, but I know that I personally live with, um, with things that, that you could consider lies that are lies by omission. Um, but in the choice of what the alternative result is of that, um, I believe in, in my heart or rectifying my heart that I'm doing that out of compassion more so than um, towing a line that says that, that it's not, you know, ethical. So, um, I think we're all, um, works in progress. I think, um, the one person that, that I need to not lie to ever is myself and knowing what I'm choosing to do, not thinking that it's happening to me. Uh, it's something that I'm choosing to do and, and being okay with the reasons why. And again, 
if we look at it morally and, and as a definition, it's the wrong thing to do. Um, but there's also other wrong things to do that that becomes in conflict with in which you have to choose a priority. So hopefully this one made you think a little bit, um, as, as I have been all day on the topic. And it's, it's one that I'm going to continue uh, to dive into specifically that, that, uh, so I can be authentic when we talk about the art of ethical influence, which is, is the latest project that we're working on here. So, um, I think in order to have the conversation of ethical influence, you have to have the conversation about honesty. And if you're going to have the conversation about honesty, you have to address whether or not a lie is acceptable and when it is, when it's not. And I think if ground rules are set and people understand what to live by, um, then I think that, that we can progress on that topic. But otherwise, um, you really just need to progress that with yourself. Uh, that's it for this week. We uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Always reach out to me at Rick A. Morris uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, Twitter. Um, again, next week, we're going to be doing a replay as I'll be at the International Maxwell Certification uh, in Orlando, Florida. Uh, but I'll be back to do my uh, wrap-up show of that the following Friday. As always, the, the one of our most popular shows is the What I Learned from John Maxwell show. So we'll do that again a week from this Friday. Otherwise, you guys have a fantastic day. Continue listening to the Voice America Network, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.